The glory of this world, I see, chases after things which fade. And the glory of this world does not last, but soon withers and dies. Simeon saw it. There in God's temple was something glorious, the light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, God decorating his temple with the finest decoration, the grandest sight that the world would ever see, his son. The following is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona, reaching out with rock solid hope and rim country. December 27th, 2020, 1 Kings 8, 6-13. I can remember there being a lot of neat decorations put up in my home as a child during Christmas time. But what probably strikes me the most in my memory is the decoration of lights in the house and the lights outside the house. I can see the splendor of the glorious Christmas tree lights shining in the living room, creating a whole different type of light. And I can see the lights outside on the pine tree up front glimmering through the snow outside. Of course, today you can see a lot more fantastic displays of lights as you look at trees which are created with fiber optic displays of lights. And you can see light displays that are outside with immense displays of light synced automatically to the latest and greatest of music. And you can even see skyscrapers lit up with projector lights and lasers visible from miles away. But the Christian knows the most glorious display of light seen at Christmas time is one which our lights can only subtly remind us of as they point to a far more glorious light. How does God bring glory to Christmas? Well, we look at how he decorates and brings glory to his own house. This morning we look at 1 Kings chapter 8 and we see, yes, it involved music and it involved light. But the greatest and glorious display of God's decoration seen in 1 Kings chapter 8 reminds us of what makes our Christmas celebration and our homes glorious. The planning that took place by the house of God and for the people of God was long in the works. I see it was David who first determined where God's house would be built when the angel of the Lord was seen and he stopped at the threshing floor of Aruna. And there David decided he was going to build God's temple. Only it wouldn't be David who would build God's temple. David would not be able to. But David's son would build the temple. The temple is an expression in Hebrew for God's house. And the son of David, Solomon, had determined that he was going to build a glorious house and make it a magnificent display. And when Solomon had that temple built, he involved hundreds of thousands of stonecutters, workers, and laborers. And he employed the most skilled artists and engineers for the building of God's house. He had determined it was going to be something glorious. And after seven years, he completed the building of the Lord's house. And at that time, the celebration ensued. The Ark of the Lord, which had been left in the tabernacle, was now being brought to the more permanent home, the temple. And Solomon waited for the day of dedication to be on the Feast of the Tabernacles. 
that is the time when God's people lived in booths, to remind them of the time when they came out of Egypt and were delivered by the Lord. They had temporary dwellings, and they were looking forward to God's permanent dwelling with them. God's house, too, had been a temporary tabernacle, but not anymore. The son of David had built a house for God, and now he was bringing the ark to that house. The Levites and the priests carried the ark with long poles because they were not allowed to touch the ark itself. Almost 500 years earlier, some of the sons of Aaron had died as they disrespected God's house and God's presence. So the priest and the Levites carefully carried that ark as they approached the temple of the Lord. And with that procession came the music. There were the Levites who were musicians, all of them gathered, those who played the harp and the cymbals. And along with them, you can picture something grand. Trumpets, 120 trumpets sounding along with them. Modern-day orchestras have around four trumpets. Can you picture 120 accompanying this grand procession? And with all the sacrifices that were offered, it's recorded in 2 Chronicles 4 that they were countless. This was a grand display of music and a grand display as the priest carried that ark into the most holy place, that is the most inner room of the temple. They did not take the poles but left them there because they could not touch the ark. And as they left it and backed out, the poles, it said, even were left and were so long that they stuck out and protruded through the curtain. A constant reminder of those who entered the holy place that the ark of God was in the most holy place. A place that no one could approach. No one save the high priest. And that only but once a year. And as the priest left the temple and the ark was placed inside, there we see the display of glorious light. It says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. When the priests had left, they could not go back in to minister before the Lord because fire loomed above the temple and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is the same glory of the Lord, which around 500 years earlier had filled the tabernacle built under Moses. It was God's presence signified, and it showed the people who once traveled in booths and had that pillar of fire guide them by night, that God was still with them and he was filling his temple with his glory. Do we catch what this was meant to impress on them and to impress on us? The very fact that the people could not enter near the presence of God and that ark which contained the word of God they could not come into what symbolized God's holy throne, but had to remain separate. And the, the fire and the cloud showed them that God was present and he is a holy God. First and foremost, this grand display of lights in God's house showed his people that he is a holy, unapproachable God, that sinners cannot come before him, not unless they are prepared to die and to face his judgment over sin. Is this what we get when we look at the displays of light in our homes and around Christmas time? It's not, is it? That's because when God filled his house with glorious light, 
He came not just to fill it with glorious light that we might know he is a holy God who we cannot approach, but he filled it to make his presence known, his coming in grace to be with his people. That's the kind of light that is the glorious light we celebrate. That's the light which the shepherds saw. And that night when it was filled with darkness, it says the glory of the Lord filled the sky. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And the shepherds did what any sinner should do when they sensed the glorious presence of a holy God. They fell down in terror. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. God had come to be present with his people. And God was making the grand announcement as the word came and made himself lowly in human flesh. That word was found as he came and was born into this world. God present with his people. The son of David, the son of God, came into the world to bring light and glory and to bring glory to God's house like David's son Solomon never could to make it an eternal dwelling for the Lord and to build God's house. When Mary and Joseph, a few days after that glorious appearance to the shepherds had happened, took something to the temple of the Lord, it wasn't the ark symbolizing God's presence, containing the Ten Commandments in stone, the word of God. No, it was the very word of God that Mary and Joseph carried to the temple, the word made flesh. And when Jesus came into the courtyards of the temple for his dedication, as he was consecrated before the Lord, there was not some grand display of trumpets sounding. There was not a glorious light that surrounded the people in the temple courtyards. No, when the word of God was dedicated and he filled the presence of his temple in the flesh, he came in lowliness. This word who not so long ago was born in a birthplace where cattle feed came to bring light to God's temple. And he wasn't proclaimed like the people were at the dedication of the temple who fell down on their faces saying, give thanks to the Lord, he is good, his mercy endures forever. And all the priests and the Levites with the music and the worship bowed down. No, when the word made flesh came to his temple, he filled it with a different kind of glory as an old woman, an aged prophetess, and a single man welcomed him. And that man, Simeon, held him in his arms in the temple courtyards. And he said, Lord, I'm ready. Dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, a light that will be for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon saw it. There in God's temple was something glorious, the light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, God decorating his temple with the finest decoration, the grandest sight that the world would ever see, his son. You know, when the, the temple in Solomon's dedication was filled with the glory of the Lord, many consider that to be the climax of the Old Testament era for God's people. But this, you could say, was one of the climaxes in the New Testament when the word of God came to his temple. The lowly 
word of God. It was a glorious light. Years later, the word of God made flesh would come to his temple and he would offer up a sacrifice, not in the copy of the heavenly throne of God, but he would offer up a perfect sacrifice before the very throne of God. And the son of David would come to build God's house as the perfect priest who would not offer up a lamb that was spotless before the throne and before the very ark, but who would offer up himself the perfect, holy sacrifice before the very throne of God in heaven. And when he offered up that sacrifice, he brought light and glory to a world in darkness and freed it from the terror and curse of sin and brought to us a light that is glorious as we are now built into God's house. That's the real glory that you and I can celebrate. You know, sometimes I think that with all the streetlights and the satellites and all the, the lights and displays of this world, we can get lost and we can lose our focus on what is really glorious for God's kingdom and for his people. The glory of this world, I see, chases after things which fade. And the glory of this world does not last, but soon withers and dies. Even the best, most glorious decoration that I can bring into my home or have in the church, the house of God where I worship, will not last. All those things are temporary. Right now we are celebrating the, the Feast of Booths as we have a temporary home. But we are looking for when the Son of David has finally established that temple, that house of the Lord that will be filled with glory forever. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we are being built into this temple, which rises up in Christ to form a temple holy for our God. Christ, through faith, brings in the Gentiles and all his people, through faith in him, to share in his glory. The glory of Christmas and of every day is that we can bow down before the glorious Son of God and say, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His mercy endures forever. And through the eyes of faith, we see a glory that shines far brighter than anything in this world ever could, even brighter than the glory that once filled Solomon's temple, even brighter than the music that has sounded through generations and centuries in the church. It's the song of the angels at that first Christmas. It's the song of Simeon as he beheld the glory of the Lord in his temple. And it's the sound that we join in as we give glory to our God who has brought us his light as we are now made into his temple. And the glory of the Lord fills his temple as we are made into that temple. And we will sing that glory forever because of the temple built by the Son of David. See now how the Lord brings his display of light and brings glory to his house. Amen. Amen.